Great having everybody here today. As Kelly said, my name is Justin as the giving teams come down and uh, just want to say a, a quick word of welcome. Uh, just as, as we come into churches, we visited as a part of the Enneagram workshop this past week, another church, and they were so welcoming to us. And I just even knew walking into the doors of a different church, it's always just kind of a stressful environment. Um, that you're walking into. So I, I just want to thank you for coming and being open and welcome and risking stepping into a church setting that's maybe new for you because I know that that's tough. I know that's hard sometimes. So thanks for coming to that. So also want to say thanks. It's good to have Trevor here who was uh, helping. Hannah's taken a very much needed and, and, and happy to have her have a weekend off um, going down to Nashville and doing some fun stuff. So she's out. And Trevor uh, used to lead worship with me many years ago. So Trevor, wherever you are in here, I can't see you anywhere. We're really grateful to have you. There you are. Found him. So we, we love you, Trevor. Glad to have you and the family here. And I mentioned the Enneagram workshop. Uh, many of you were a part of that. I know this past Friday and Saturday, we partnered with Apostles Anglican Church. It was awesome, man. It was just a really good time to get to know ourselves weather, uh, better and, and kind of uh, grow in our self-awareness and how to not only relate to ourselves, but to one another. So we want to continue to hopefully build on what was, what was there. It just was phenomenal. So for those of you there, thank you so much. Well, as Kelly was talking about, we're talking about rest right now. We're in a series called Give It a Rest. And we're exploring this biblical concept of Sabbath and how it matters to us in this very restless, tired, weary world. Because we live in a world where we're always connected, right? We can connect at any time. We have everything always available to us at our fingertips 24-7. I ordered a book to, to read uh, for a series on Wednesday night, and it showed up on Thursday morning. I'm like, what world are we living in, man? This is crazy. We can just have access to everything at all times. In a world, if you notice, that's always connected like this, that has no limits as a world really without rest. And so Sabbath, it's, it's something that maybe you've heard of or maybe you haven't. It's not actually in the original language. It's not a spiritual word. It's, it's a really common Hebrew word, and it comes from the verb that just means to stop, to cease. So meaning in order to find that rest that God is calling us to, the, the requirement of us is not just to slow down. What God is asking us to do is trust him enough to stop. And just to be. And there's lots of countercultural teachings in the scriptures that, that, that go against our American values and our American understandings of ourselves. But I think maybe Sabbath might be right up there at the top of one of the most countercultural things that we can live into. It is a shock to our American exhausted system to think that we can have enough trust in God just to slow down enough and stop. And rest. So this past week we did a, um, a uh, survey we put out on Facebook. I know some of you filled that out for us and that was awesome. We had some great results. You'll see some of these results here on the screen that we learned from this survey about, about you guys and I know some other folks outside of our church. But 71% only had a real day off sporadically as their schedule permits. And most of them, I mean, there's some filled out. A few of them was once a month or once every two weeks. So the majority, it was almost 90% did not have a full day off per week. Pretty stunning. So another 71% said they saw Sabbath as an idea that they admired, 
but they didn't really know how to put it into practice. It was a good thing. Everybody knows it's something that's admirable, but is it accessible to our lives? And there was lots of reasons that people gave for hindrances towards their biggest factors for, for lack of rest. There was some said that it was uh, their jobs and demands and the schedule, some relationships, but the number one one was family and kids. That will preach right there. <laughs> As a father of two young boys, that will preach. Um, last night, I got to tell a quick story that I know I don't have time with, but it's too funny. Erica woke up, my wife, at 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, shaking me and said, someone is in our house. And I woke up and I'm like, oh my gosh. Because it sounded like something was walking up the stairs. It really did sound like something was stepping up the stairs. And so I woke up and I'm like wide awake and I, I, I'm almost like in this stunned moment. And I realized as I opened the door, and I'm, I'm like, I'm ready putting up fist. I'm, I'm, th- I'm about ready to throw something at somebody. And, and walk in there, and it's my son's balloon had gotten caught in the fan. It was going like that. And it sounded like someone was walking through our house. I was scared to death. But another reason, unintentionally, that family and kids do not allow you to rest in our current world. So that's why if I look a little uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, that's why I am... Uh, I'm still kind of shaken from the fact I was about ready to punch a balloon. Um, so, so from this, I mean, from the survey, we can get some pretty clear understandings that, that a lot of us here, like, we love this idea, but it seems unattainable in a very exhausted world. We've, we've got these patterns, we've got these habits, we've got these expectations that are placed upon us in our everyday life that make this admirable but unattainable. It's kind of like the week after Thanksgiving when you're like, all right, I'm eating salads every single day this week. And then like that next day, somebody says, hey, you want to go out for pizza? Yeah, I'll go out for pizza. Like that's, you know, you should do this. You know, you should change a habit. But the actual process of moving from something you want in your head into a lived reality is so, so difficult. So a lot of our spiritual lives, that's what it looks like, isn't it? It's the ideas about God, these practices we know we should do that can't get out of our head and into the way we live our lives. And we talk about a lot around here, action flows out of identity. So in order, we talked about this last week, in order to rest, we have to start with our identity, start with who we are. Last week we talked about how the Israelites, they were brought out of slavery, and in slavery, their value was based upon how much they produced. And so your worth and value is judged by how much you can make, what you're making, and how much more you're making than someone else. And when God brought them out, of slavery, he gave them the Sabbath to remind them that our identity is not in what we make, but in who is making us. It's not about how much we can produce, but in who we are as sons and daughters of God. So if we are living in a modern American world, judging our lives in our jobs, in our families, in our homes, as if we are valued by how much stuff we can make happen, we're slaves. We might as well still be under Pharaoh. 
And so Sabbath is not just an invitation to the Israelites many, many thousands of years ago. Sabbath is an invitation to us in our modern world to stand against the identity of slavery. And this has been the biggest aha moment for me as we've studied this in our series, is that I need to get this out of this idea in my head and into and my actual body in my spiritual practices. Because Sabbath rest, rest is it's a spiritual reality, yes, but it demands in all of us a physical response. All our spiritual practices, they may start in our heads, they may start in, but, but if they remain a good idea, just an admirable thought, just like getting up and praying in the morning or exercising, whatever it may be, you don't exercise in your head, do you? The same thing happens with us. We cannot Sabbath in our heads. It has to become a physical reality. This is a foreign concept in the scriptures to think that your physical life and your spiritual life are separate. In Genesis 1 and 2, it shows that God created us as whole beings, body, mind, and spirit. Our bodies were not declared evil in creation. They were declared good along with the whole of ourselves. This is incredibly important for our understanding of our own identity, that we are not separate spirits and then bodies. God created us to be whole beings. It wasn't until Genesis 3 when sin entered the picture that we began to separate the reality that we had spirits and then we had bodies that didn't really matter. In fact, in the New Testament, there's a lot of talk, if you keep reading through, about, man, there's these false teachers and these people who are teaching heresy and and Paul and some of the writers are hardcore, like, get these people out of here. But do you know what the number one heresy that they're fighting against in the New Testament is? It's something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is the idea that you have the spirit, and the spirit is great, the spiritual things are good, but our bodies are dirty, and they don't matter, and they're broken, and they need to stay over here. And so focus on just the spiritual things, and then our bodies, because they don't matter, we can just do whatever we want with them. As long as we're spiritual on the inside, and God says, that's not who I created you to be. You were created to be a whole being. Your body, mind, and spirit were created and spoken over by God as good. So our spiritual lives do not stay in our head. They do not stay in the hypothetical. They move into a bodily reality together to restore all of us. Does that make sense? That's important for us to understand. And it's why to this day, Jews, as they're entering into their Sabbath, which they start on Friday evenings, they they say something to one another. They say, Shabbat Shalom. Anybody know what that means? Shabbat Shalom. It means literally have a peaceful Sabbath. But that word Shalom, it means far more than, I hope you have a day that's without conflict and easy. Shalom is a big, big concept in the scriptures. Shalom is the idea, friends, that God is putting us back together again. That what Jesus is accomplishing in the cross and the resurrection and what his kingdom is bringing is the restoration of all things, that shalom is on its way. That when we enter into relationship with God, he's not just fixing our spirits so that we can go off one day to this and be a spirit in the sky. He is renewing all of us. Spirit, mind, body, holistically whole in the shalom peace of God. That's massive for us to understand. It's why when we see the end of the scriptures, our story does not end with us as disembodied people with harps and wings in the sky. That's not in the scriptures, friends. 
What we see in the end is that we are given, just like Jesus, resurrected bodies, living a physical existence in a renewed creation where we will live with God. That's better news to me than just floating around playing a harp all day, right? And I'm not just making that up, friends. That's in the Bible. Read it. That's where we're going to. Shalom is not just the salvation of our spirits. Shalom is the salvation of our bodies. Good news. Eugene Peterson says, Shalom is one of the richest words in the Bible. You can no more define it by looking in the dictionary than you can can define a person by his social security number. It gathers all aspects of wholeness that result from God, God's will being completed in us. In other words, Sabbath rest then is more than just recharging our batteries. It's more than giving us a breather on the sideline before we can go back in. It's more than, than the 15 minutes of waiting after you eat pizza to jump in the pool, which mothers invented is not really true. It's more than that. So, so much more than that. Sabbath is stopping. Sabbath is saying in the middle of the busyness, God just doesn't want me to find what's next. God wants to put me back together again. See, Sabbath, is, Sabbath rest is one of God's primary strategy for restoration in our lives. And if we feel fractured, and if we feel broken, and if we feel like our lives are out of mess, there's a good chance that our lack of rest, our lack of allowing God access to the restoration process of rest in our lives is probably one of the reasons. God puts us together again by not just slowing down, if it's stopping and receiving. There's an old Jewish saying in this that, that they used to say about the Sabbath, because Jews to this day still keep it religiously. They say that more than the Jews have kept Sabbath, Sabbath has kept the Jews. Sabbath has kept them who they are. It has held them together. And it's no wonder that when Jesus gives one of his primary invitations to us as disciples, what does he say? He says, come all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. He could have used many different words and many different contexts in this, but he says, I will give you rest. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of this passage, say that Jesus invites us into rhythms of grace. That word rhythm, I want you to hold on to that because that's so important for us to understand because Sabbath, it's best understood as a rhythm and not a rule. If you see it as a rule, it will be one thing that just stays in your head. Here's what you notice about rules that you find. Rules, they don't leave here, do they? And rules then, they can get bent. Rules can get negotiated. Rules can get agreed with or disagreed with. But rhythms get out of our heads and they get into our lives. They move beyond the shoulds and the ought tos. Rhythms become reflexes and reflexes begin to reshape the way that we live day in and day out. As it becomes a new way of living. In the Gospels, 
we see Jesus always in conflict with these people named the Pharisees. And one of the biggest conflicts is these Pharisees see the Sabbath as a rule to follow. And so they basically follow people around and make sure that they are following this, this rule of Sabbath to a T. And if not, they condemn them. They use it to measure themselves not only to God about how spiritual they are, but measure themselves in comparison with one another. And they totally miss the point in the process of speaking these things out. So Jesus is constantly in conflict about this reality with them. And there's one such occasion that we see this in Mark 2 where he speaks some profound words to them in response. Look at this with me in Mark 2. It says, One Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. Now, in a Jewish thought there, they're working just by picking these but these little bits of grain as they're walking by, that's how strict and tedious they are in keeping the rules. So the Pharisees said to him, look, why? Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to him, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I hope you caught that. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's just one command, but that's the heart of God in every command in scripture this is huge that we need to contemplate the scriptures and how it is presenting the character of god in his posture towards you is the sabbath a command to us yes but what is god's heart in this command he is saying this is for you it's not for me i don't need you to keep sabbath i love you enough to give you this I am for you. I'm not giving you a rule to measure yourself against yourself and others. I am giving you something that is so life-giving. I want it for you. The Sabbath is for us because God is for us. He's not asking us in any of his commands in Scripture to keep a rule to impress him. God does not get impressed with our obedience. He does not get surprised by our lack of obedience. God is for us and gives up his, his commands, especially the Sabbath, as a means for us to be whole again. So our question, the big question we have to ask, friends, is how do these rules, how do we move from rules to rhythms. How do these spiritual ideas become tangible practices? Because this is, this is nothing at all if it stays in our head and doesn't move into our life, right? I don't want to walk away from here today with all of us thinking, man, Sabbath is right. And then going back into the same rhythm we went to before. It makes no difference in our lives. This is something we have to fight for. Remember, action flows out of identity. So yes, we start with being sons and daughters, but that doesn't mean that we sit around and stare at our navels and think about this all day, about what our identity is, and hope that we will finally figure out what Sabbath is. On the contrary, I love what Henry Nouwen says. He says, you don't think your way into a new kind of living. You live your way into a new kind of thinking. We need spiritual muscle memory. We need to just get out and live what we know is true about our identity. We have to start somewhere. 
We learn this from dancing and exercise and physical activity. You see it. I was watching the three-point contest at the, at the All-Star game and the NBA All-Star game and, and how Steph Curry's rhythm in shooting remains the same over and over and over again because he's developed a rhythm that has become a reflex where he does not have to think about shooting because he's become beyond what's in his head. It's become something that's become a part of his whole life. We have to live our way in these practices into a new way of thinking. So, so we have to start this with Sabbath rest. So what do we, where do we start? Where do you and I start in this process as we're experiencing the rest of God? I want to give us a few things as we close here and move towards the end. The first thing is this, is we have to find a consistent, set-apart time. We see this in Exodus 20. God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Keeping it holy literally means to set it apart. When you have something special, you keep it away from the things that aren't very special. There's a reason why my guitars hang on the wall above where kid, kid hands can get. Because it is set apart because I value it as what it is. And so I set it apart. What we have to start with is finding time in our schedule that you and I can set apart for rest, for God to bring restoration in our lives. If you can make this a 24-hour period, great, that's awesome. But I do know, if you're like me, that's really hard. I have two tiny people living in my house, and my wife is also tiny too. She lives there too, but she's my wife. They live, and it's really hard to find these moments, and so we're working through that right now. What does it look like? Sometimes it's just taking a night um, to say, we're done. We have to set this time apart and do it consistently. So if you can't do a full 24 hours a day, I hope you can, and I hope you're like me and you want to work towards that. But if not, don't let the, 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 the perfect be the enemy of the good. Start somewhere. Set some time apart to rest. Make space for God to give you this gift of identity and rest. The next thing, once we find a consistent and set apart time, we have to stop. I love that. Point number two, stop. That's what you want to hear at church. Stop it. Seriously, you got to stop working. You gotta stop producing. You gotta lay down your to-do list even if there's still things on it. That's difficult, I know. Your email is still gonna be there, your to-do list is still gonna be there. Is this gonna be hard? Yes. It is hard for most of us to slow down and to stop. But Sabbath is, is trusting that God can do more in six days than I can in seven days. Is that true? If God is God, then he can do way more in six days than I can try to do in seven days. That's just the reality of his character. And if that's true, I think I can risk putting down my to-do list for a minute and taking some rest. And let me say this. This doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to stop and stare at a wall all day. Like, that's not me. Like, Sabbath is, I'm not saying, hey... Just go and, and close your eyes and meditate and do all that sort of stuff. No, that's not what I'm saying. Um, A.J. Swoboda, he wrote a great book called uh, The Subversive Sabbath. And he says in his fan that they call, they call the Sabbath the opposite day. So whatever they do for work, 
They do the opposite as a means of restoration. So for you, if you are out there and you're doing manual labor every day and you're renovating houses and you're doing stuff, maybe for you, rest does mean literally I need to sit still, I need to be, be quiet, I need to take a moment and just not move around and not lift things and not do stuff great. But like I know a lot of us in this room here today, like me and my wife, we were talking about this, a lot of our day is sitting in front of computer screens. A lot of us are just sitting there and we're doing stuff and we have a very sedentary lifestyle. So one of the big breakthroughs for us is we've discovered that rest for us is exercise. Like we need to, on these days of rest, get out and move around. And because we spend so much time in front of screens, typing emails, and she does this stuff at work, we need to take those days and we need to put screens away. We need to look at actual real-life people. We need to have actual real-life conversations. Because it's the opposite of what we experience in work. It's, it's something like that. So at Rabbi Abraham Heschel, he says, A man who works with his mind should Sabbath with his hands, and a man who works with his hands should Sabbath with, with his mind. That's a huge, huge thing for us. I encourage you to do that. Whatever your work is, whether it's, it's sedentary or in front of a computer, get up and move around. Do some gardening. Do something different, something that restores you within that. So we set apart a consistent time. We stop our working. We cease. The third thing we do is we cultivate joy. We don't just stop. We stop with a purpose. Sabbath rest is a way more than anything else of just putting us back together. It's not just doing nothing. It's recognizing that God is a giver, that he's the giver of every good and perfect gift in our life. And so we are to enjoy the gifts that he's given us. Sabbath should be a day of enjoying and celebrating life. For me, that is a big old thick theology book on the back porch. That brings me joy. I know for a lot of you are thinking, you are terribly weird. That can never be me. I don't know what that is for you. I know for some of you, it's cooking. It's on my day off. I want to put together a big bunch of cookies or muffins and give it away. With my wife, sometimes it's organizing and cleaning. She is a different person after she does that because it helps put her back together again. It gives her joy. Maybe it's creative. Maybe you write or play music. Maybe you paint or you, do, you, you dance. Creative things. Think about what puts you back together again. What activity as you do this reminds you that you are a human being and not a human doing. Whatever that is, do that. That is restful. You don't have to sit around and hum like some sort of Gregorian chant the entire day to have a spiritual Sabbath. In fact, unless that's fun for you, go for it. But Sabbath is a day to look upon creation, look at all of God's gifts, and enjoy it. To really, truly have fun. Which leads us to the last thing. We cultivate joy, and out of cultivate joy, on a Sabbath, we worship. Now, if you're here in Houston, you're thinking, I cannot sing and I'm not spending my day walking around singing worship songs as I take off. That's, that's what most of us think when we think of worship most of the time is music. But worship is so much more. Worship is, is the posture of our heart towards God. The word literally means worth-ship. We are declaring what is worth something to us when we worship. And in worshiping God, we are declaring that he is worth more than everything. And remembering that God has given us good gifts to enjoy, even in dark and terrible times, that we can find joy in the gifts that we do have, that joy should turn our hearts to worship. And worship 
in its purest sense is the cry of our heart simply saying, thank you. Thank you, God. It's hard right now. I may not have much, but I'm here and I have family or I have friends. And so, God, for the gifts that I do have, I stop and I say thank you. Thank you for what you've done in me. Thank you for what you're doing through me. Thank you that you don't leave me. As we cultivate that joy, as we remember what we have that's beyond human happiness, our hearts should turn upward and say, God, thank you. All of this is yours. You gave all of this to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. One of my spiritual heroes and a person I've learned a lot about rest and Sabbath from is a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. He's written a lot of amazing books, one of the greatest thinkers of the, of the 20th century in Christianity. And as he was um, moving towards death, he got a really aggressive form of cancer. And um, he, he was in his final days in his hospital, in the hospital. And at the funeral, they were telling the story about, his family was telling the story about how the doctors and the nurses were so freaked out, almost shocked at how even in like the most painful circumstances as he was on his way out, he kept saying thank you to every doctor. And every nurse and every person that walks through, and I've been in those rooms before, like, and I, if I'm in that situation, I don't know if I'm there because you're in such pain, you're in such heartache about the circumstances that you have no idea what's happening outside of yourself. But Dallas is this person who is so filled with Jesus, these non-believing nurses and doctors kept thinking, what? They actually went out and Googled him because they're like, who is this guy? that keeps thanking me even in the deepest part of his pain. They found out he was this great follower of Jesus who was a huge influence on so many lives and it began to stir in them a question of what does this man have that I do not have? And his granddaughter said at the funeral, she said that his last words as he was fading away was just simply a look into the sky and he said thank you to the very end, the very last words of his life were filled with gratitude even in the absolute darkest place he could possibly be. The cry of his heart was thank you. Thank you. What we realize in Sabbath is that most of the time we struggle to slow down and when we struggle to slow down, we struggle to see what joyful things we have in our lives And when we struggle to see what joyful things we have in our lives, when we struggle to see these gifts, our hearts turn away from gratitude. They turn into greed. They turn into ourselves. And God is offering us a gift, not only to stop and to remember who we are, to take joy in our lives and the gifts he's given us. He's giving us back our gratitude. And for us in a really, really dark time in this world, that's what we need. Gratitude changes situations. You want to take a room and and change the atmosphere of the room, stop and say, guys, let's just talk about what we're grateful for. And watch as the stirring of God's spirit happens. Because gratitude is so deeply connected to the spirit of God because it's a recognition that I do not have these things because of anything I have produced. It is all a gift. It is all a gift. And so I want to encourage us. There's some practical things to step into today, but I want you to ask, where is my heart today? 
Am I turned inward or do I have the cry of my heart recognizing that every good and perfect gift that has been given to me today, even in the dark places, and I can stop and I can say thank you. And let's not make that just something that happens in a room like this. What if this was a community of people who lived a healthy rhythm together? who were not tired like the rest of the world and were noticeably joyful and grateful even in the dark places, that shows Jesus as much as about anything in the world. You don't have to give somebody a track or tell them about Jesus. If you are filled with joy and gratitude, people notice. I pray that for us, friends. I want that for us. Let me pray as we move into a time of communion and response.